Well, good morning, everyone. Confession time. Who here is already decorated for Christmas? Come on. I know there's a handful of you. Don't be shy. Own it. Own it. These people are people we can look up to and people we can also mock. I'm just kidding. We're not going to mock them at all. Two weeks from now, we are starting our Countdown to Christmas series that we've entitled The Land of Mis- Misfit Toys. It's going to be an awesome exploration into what it means to be a bystander in this unfolding Christmas story. But before then, we're going to wrap up this psalm series with this week and next week as we prepare to celebrate the most magical time of the year, or is that Disney? I forget. One of the two... It's awesome that you are here. We're going to dive into Psalm 15 today, and we're going to talk about the scorecard. Now, this is a part of our culture that I find fascinating. Here's what a scorecard is. If you have no recollection of what I'm talking about, it is super prominent in sports, but it's also in various other elements throughout our societal structures. Now, in sports, if you've ever watched some or listened to somebody talk about it, like things like golf. When you play golf, you literally have to fill out a scorecard in order to register what your score is on that particular hole, which I find fascinating because nobody's checking to see what number you write down. You can write down a one, you can write down a two. Nobody's checking unless somebody beside you in the pairing that you're with or the group of four is saying, hey, you, that was actually an eight that you got. You, you got to write that down. And they actually know the rules and how to score the card. In boxing, this is hilarious. I love this. In boxing, you've got two people in the ring whose goal is to knock one another out, okay? And if they fail to do that, they have a group of three people that are on the edge of the ring, these judges that are scoring the fight. They're writing down on a scale of numbers who they think won each round. And if nobody knocks one another out by the end of the bout, which are the, whether it's 12 rounds, 5 rounds, 10 rounds, they go to the judge's scorecard to see who's claimed victory. Fascinating. If you go to the grocery store, they hand out a scorecard to you in the form of a survey. They want to know, how did we do today? Some of us, we go to churches with our own scorecard. Did the pastor preach the Bible? I don't know. (laughs) Do I like the pastor? No. Like... (laughs) We have our scorecards. We take them into every environment. If you've ever been speed dating, after your speed dating experience, you have to fill out a scorecard based on the interactions that you had with whomever was across the table with you at that time. So if you don't remember their name or remember what you talked about, your scorecard is influenced by all these things. We carry a scorecard with us physically or intrinsically wherever we go. Think about it. We evaluate our friendships based on a scorecard. Now you're going like, Jason, come on. I am not rating my bestie as a seven and a half out of ten. But you do rate them. Can they keep a secret? Have you, have you started a conversation with somebody like that? Hey, can you keep a secret because you want to tell them something? Something that's passionate in your soul? You want to bear something to them, this burden that you've maybe been carrying for a long time. You want to be real, but you don't yet know if you can trust that they're actually going to keep your confidence. 
And as Christians, we can struggle with this because sometimes in good-natured idea of wanting to pray for one another, we actually participate in a violation of the scorecard of friendship. Anyways, let's dig into Psalm 15. It's going to get a little bit spicy, so why don't you turn to a neighbor and give him a high five and say, okay, here we go. Psalm 15, it reads like this. We read already from the message paraphrase translation of the Bible. This is the New Living Translation that I'm reading from. Five verses, they start like this. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. So we're talking about a scorecard. That's the scorecard, the biblical scorecard for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now that, if you're looking at it and you're reading it and you heard it and you're like, man, I don't measure up, don't worry, I don't either. We're going to walk through this line by line, but this is, this is the reality to the life that we've been invited into and called. And what we're going to uncover is that we cannot do this on our own. Let's dig into this, this second verse in particular Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right speak the truth from sincere hearts. Which one of us here is blameless? Please stand up. I can't stand. I am not blameless. It's interesting to me that we can walk through life wanting people to be perfect. We're looking for the perfect soulmate. How many of you have heard that phrase before? I'm just waiting for Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect was a wrestler in the 1990s. He's come and he's gone. Mr. Perfect doesn't exist. Or I'm waiting for the perfect job opportunity. How many of you have ever worked in the perfect job? I'm working in it right now, so I'm grateful. We desire perfection, but we are incapable of attaining it. Think about the last great meal that you had. That when you think about it right now, your mouth starts to water. The taste was amazing. I can remember one of the first times that Bonnie and I had dinner out at Buell Street Bistro here in Brockville. I had the salmon with this encrusted, I don't know what it was, something on top of it. But it was amazing. It was delicious. I loved it so much. I went back there again. I ordered the exact same thing, and it didn't measure up. Didn't measure up. It was the same recipe, but there was this like infusion of love and care that was missing or something. The company was, was the same. My wife was still with me, but it was just slightly different. It was just slightly different, slightly less than I had remembered. Sometimes in our quest for perfection, we overlook what's right in front of us. We're expecting blameless reality when the truth is all of us have a reason to be blamed. The Apostle Paul later on in scripture says it like this. 
For all have fallen short. For all of us have fallen short. It doesn't say some of us, doesn't say just those of us who have grown up in the church have fallen short, or those of us who haven't grown up in the church, or those of us who are attracted to men, or those of us who are attracted to women, or whatever it is. He doesn't, he doesn't isolate any one particular people group. He says all of us. We've all fallen short, every single one of us. So then why, oh why, would we ever be able to or ever demand perfection from somebody else? It's unattainable. Fifteen years ago, I started the journey to become the perfect dad. My kids remind me daily of my imperfection. Dad, you can't say that. It's 2022. I could say that in 2021. Yeah, but it's 2022. Dad, you're not going to wear that, are you? It's clothing. It is not in vogue anymore. You need a new fit. Dad, why are you yelling? I'm not yelling. I'm just talking. Well, your voice is very intrusive. I'm not perfect. I'm reminded of that each and every day. The psalmist writes that those who may worship in the sanctuary of the Lord are those who blameless, who are blameless. They lead blameless lives. So if that is the truth, then how am I invited and even able to worship Jesus? Here's the cool thing about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because of who Jesus is, the only one that has ever lived a perfect and blameless life, he stands in our place. What that means is when the, the, God, the Father in heaven, looks down on all of his creation and those of us who have a connection with Jesus, a living, breathing, moving, walking relationship with Christ, instead of just seeing Jason and all his inefficiencies and all his mistakes and all his sin, he sees the blood of Christ poured out and making a way forward through all of that inconsistency and imperfection, he now sees a blameless individual standing before him and welcomes him into his throne room to worship. That's insane. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. The only way you and I can ever claim to be blameless is recognizing that we are full of blame and that Jesus himself took all of that blame and turn that trash into treasure. That's how we can find our way forward. And that's what's super amazing about this portion of text. Let's go further. Let's go into verse 3. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. This is somebody who now recognizes what Jesus has done for them. They've fallen in love with Jesus and now is choosing to live like Jesus. And here's where, as a culture, we have got this entirely wrong. I said it earlier, those who refuse to gossip. Here's what we sometimes do as followers of Jesus. Under the guise of prayer and care, we speak about other people when we shouldn't be speaking about them. That's called gossip. That conversation that you had with somebody, then they asked you, hey, can, can you keep a secret? And then you passed it along to the prayer chain. You see what I'm saying? 
I told you it's going to get a little bit sticky today. That's gossip. I've participated in gossip. Willingly. And I'm sure many of you have as well. The expectation of somebody who is following Jesus is that they would refuse to do that. They would refuse to gossip. But man, it's really hard when something juicy comes along. But if all you have to talk about in your relationships is about somebody else, then your relationship with that person is really shallow. What if you started talking about things that, that drive you forward, that inspire you, things that keep you awake at night, things that make you scared, things that make you happy, things that make you excited on a personal level? What if we started focusing the majority of our conversation as followers of Jesus, if we claim that title on Jesus himself? Because here's what I'm learning. The more that I talk about Jesus, the more that I fixate on him, the more that I focus on him, the less room there is for gossip. It just doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter that the worship leader wore ripped jeans or somebody had a hat on stage or they sang a song I didn't know or they made a mistake or the lighting was weird or this or that or the other. It doesn't matter that we didn't have anybody to go out for lunch with. It doesn't matter that we met online or in person. It doesn't matter that they voted something differently. It doesn't matter that they held hands with a member of the same gender. It doesn't matter. All those things fade away when we fixate more on Jesus and less on the stuff around it. When we fixate on the things that are not Christ, we get stuck. Can I have five people join me on stage? We're going to do something super fun right now. Five, just go. Whoever. You just have to be willing to walk up on stage. Perfect. Excellent. Come on. Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six. Perfect. I'll take six. Great. Seven. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. All right. Perfect. You'll play the role of Jesus. All right. Beth is going to play the role of Jesus. Beth, why don't you stand right here? Okay. Steve, you want to come over this way? Steve, we are going to W. Give me something that we fixate on in our culture. Money. You're going to be money today. Money Steve. Love it. All right. Give me something else. Social media. Okay, we're going to put you, just take one step back. We're here. You're going to be social media. All right, give me something else. Politics. All right. Norm loves politics, so we'll go right here. Give me something else. Hockey. Hockey. Oh, my goodness. The coup de grace. The coup de grace. We're going to go right here. All right. Give me one more. Say that one more time. I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. Strength? Yes. Okay, strength. Perfect. Sweet. Give us a flex. (laughs) Yeah, all right. All right. For those of you online, you can have fun with this too. Okay, reminder, where's Jesus? In the middle, in the center. Okay, perfect. Excellent. When we fixate on things, particularly things that maybe we want to avoid, like say we want to avoid talking about strength, Say we want to reframe what it means to be a man and not just talk about physical strength. We're going to talk about emotional well-being and whatever. As I start talking about that, I'm fixated. I'm gravitated towards it, right? So I'm moving towards it. What am I moving away from? Jesus. Now, I'm close to strength, and it's a good thing to talk about, but guess what? 
I've alienated my connection with Christ along the way. Same thing when I fixate on politics. Oh my word, we can get caught in the cesspool of politics. It is important for us to exercise our democratic right to vote, but to recognize that there are going to be a multiple of different opinions on a variety of different issues. And even in those differing opinions, people can have a following relationship with Jesus. It's not you believe in Jesus and then you can only vote a certain way. That doesn't exist in our world, but if you keep gravitating toward politics, you get wrapped up in it, you get all snuggly up and cozy, (laughs) and there ain't no room for Jesus. Same thing with hockey, believe it or not. Right? I'm coaching my son's hockey team because there was an opportunity and I wanted to serve one of my staff, Jamie, who's an excellent head coach. I thought, what a cool opportunity for him to be the lead and me to support his leadership. And guess what? We're on the ice three times a week. It's insane. I, will, I, I, I never wanted to do it. I don't know if I'll do it again. I love the time I'm having with my son, though. He's amazing. First year playing, and this guy, I got to tell you, he's fantastic. He inspires me in so many ways. But when I'm all consumed about this, guess what? I I don't have room. Social media, same thing. I can get trapped in this environment. I can filter all my relationships through the lens of social media and have actually abandoned connections along the way. Or money. The Bible talks about it. You can't serve God and money. Money is an okay thing. Money is one of the things that helps us move forward in various ways. Money is helpful, but money should never be our focus. Because when it is, I can't see where Jesus might be stirring and tapping me on the shoulder and say, hey, that money that I gave you, I want you to reinvest it. I want you to use it in a way that brings me honor and glory. Instead, I need to be focused and fixated on Jesus. (laughs) She's the only one that hugged me, too. I don't know about that. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Gotta love hockey. Not too much. But not too much, yes. But when I am, there's still room to have these passions and these connections a part of my life, but not the focal point of my life. Why don't you give these volunteers a hand? Thank you. If we can refuse to gossip, refuse to participate in harm of our neighbors, like just refuse that, refuse to speak evil of our friends. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've run into that relational entanglement where people who thought they were friends turned out to be frenemies. That old adage of keep your friends close and your enemies closer played out in real life in their relational sphere. And now it's devastating. If we would refuse to participate in some of that, that relational junk that just isn't worth it, it's a distraction, and instead be fixated on Jesus, that's what it means to love and live like him. Let's let's go on. Verse 4, those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. The expectancy here is people that are prioritizing what it means to connect with a community of people that have shared value 
while also keeping that community open to others who are exploring what that shared value looks like. And that shared value in a Christian community needs to be Christ. Not the way that we pursue Christ, but Christ himself. So whether that's on a Sunday morning, whether that's on a a Monday night, whether that's on a, a Wednesday morning at a coffee shop or wherever it may be, are you personally collected Connected to a collection of community, a a group of people that help you, that spur you on to love Jesus and love other people. That's what this particular verse is referring to. Verse 4, because when we don't, we give credence and we give time to other influences in our lives. We're supposed to despise flagrant sinners. In the sport of basketball, there's something called a flagrant foul. A flagrant foul is something that's done on purpose with the intent to injure. That's the definition of a flagrant foul. There are people in our world that are flagrant. Their intent is only to harm, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And yet God still loves them. So we are supposed to love those people, but our connection with them might be a little bit more of a distanced connection than a a best friend type connection. And as we love and serve them over time, maybe, just maybe, that hardness of heart starts to shift and change. That stone heart becomes replaced with a flesh heart because God is speaking into their lives. There's nothing that gets me more excited when people who don't know Jesus start exploring Jesus and they don't understand why they're exploring Jesus. I heard a story this week of somebody Somebody who started reading the Bible and they don't even believe that God exists. I jumped for joy. Stories after stories, moments after moments. When you and I, and this is a challenge particularly for teenagers in this space, in this room. I get it. It's a relational nightmare at school. Sometimes our options for connection are super limited. I understand that. Believe it or not, I was a teenager. I know it's hard to imagine because now I'm an ancient dinosaur. (laughs) I was a teenager. I know what it feels like to have no friends. I ate lunch in the library with the librarians because nobody else would talk to me. I get it. I understand the pain of isolation. I get that. Do not compromise who you are for the sake of a connection that's simply going to fade away and then they're going to trade you off and, and trade up in a relational environment because something else or something better came along. Don't be that person. Don't look for those people. You can still love somebody from a distance. You don't have to be up close and intimate with that person to love them. There's various ways to express love. The final line in that verse 4 always kind of hits me right in the gut. And keep their promises even when it hurts. There are going to be times where we are invited to take our stand of faith. And I don't mean on a particular political issue or socioeconomic issue. I just mean a relational one. Where there's bullying that happens in our environment. And instead of letting it to, to continue, we say, you know what? Enough is enough. Some of you might be thinking, Jason, what does that look like? How do I refuse to be a gossip? How do I refuse to participate in some of these things and keep my promises? When gossip is happening around you, you speak into it and against it. 
Here's how that goes. If somebody would come up to me and start talking to me about my wife and say, did you know that Bonnie, she doesn't do this? First of all, that conversation is going to be awfully short with me because my wife is amazing. Secondly, you're going to hear something from my mouth that Jesus uttered in Matthew chapter 18 where he talks about brothers and sisters who sin against one another. Meaning, if you have a challenge with somebody, if you don't agree with them, don't talk to 52 other people about that challenge or disagreement. Talk to the person you have a challenge or disagreement with. That is what it means to handle conflict in a Christ-like manner. So when you bubble up and bump up against gossip, you speak against that and say, hey, I don't think we need to be fixated on this right now. I'd love to continue the conversation, but if we're just going to be talking about other people, I I am going to remove myself from this situation and I highly encourage you to stop talking about others unless it's edifying in some way. Use your own words or play that on rerun and and playback if you'd like. That's how you stop a gossip. You just don't give them any room and any margin to continue. And the sad reality is if a gossip's relationships are only built on sharing information that shouldn't be shared, they're going to find out really quickly that nobody wants to spend time with them. That happens to be you and you're just realizing, oh my goodness, everybody is telling me to stop talking to them. I wonder why. Maybe it's because all you do is talk about other people, particularly in a negative manner. We should all be striving for improvement, and that's a good thing. I'm not talking about critical feedback. I'm talking about criticism for criticism's sake. I'm talking about gossip. I'm talking about slander. I'm talking about all of those things. And so in order to keep our promise as a follower of Jesus, even when it hurts, we've got to risk that relational tension and say, you know what, I love you, but this is not wise for us to fixate on right now. I've got to keep my promise to Jesus and refuse to be a gossip. I've got to keep my promise and participate in what it means to love people around me by refusing to tear others down. We can think people are idiots. That's a thought that we can have. It could be a political leader. It could be a pastor. It could be somebody in our church, somebody in our small group. It could be our neighbor. But when we have that tension, our invitation from the words of Jesus is to pray for our enemies. What a great opportunity to pray instead of eviscerate with our words. Last one, verse 5. Those who lend money without charging interest and those who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. The expectation, the expectation that God has of us in this blameless living is that we don't make a a, a life a living on the backs of other people. This speaks against slavery. And for years and years and years and years and years throughout human history, the Christian church actually willingly participated in slavery of some kind. They advocated for it. Slave owners were in their communities. Sometimes they were the biggest charitable givers in their environment as well. It speaks against that, but it also speaks against the way that we treat money. When money is king, there's less and less room for Jesus. If all we are pursuing is money and getting rich and getting 
exactly what we have, gathering more resources, then where, oh where, is the room for generosity? God is a generous God who has given everything for us. Jesus gave up all of who he is so that you and I could live. He didn't withhold anything. He doesn't call us slaves. He calls us brothers and sisters. He invited us into his family. To invite somebody into your family. To be a part of your family. When you don't share any sort of physical DNA or legal right to be in that environment... And to make them a full share, welcomed participant in that cluster shows us the way that we're supposed to handle our relationship with money. Is it wise, Jason, to invest in the stock market? Well, it depends if it crashes or not. Yes, we should be investing in our future and all those things, but we should also have the flexibility and fluidity with our plan to realign it with God's plan. Friday night, my wife and I had a chance to share a video call with uh, one of my former students from years ago. Her name is Whitney. Whitney was the most interesting gal when I first met her in grade seven. She was a rugby player. She was a rugby player, which I thought was fascinating that girls played rugby. Now, in, in uh, rugby, you need to understand, this is a weird way to introduce Whitney. So you need to understand various, various roles and various, um, yeah. Chuck, why don't you come up here and you can tell me about rugby. Come on. There's various different roles that you can play in the game of rugby. I only know one of them, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Chuck knows the rest of them. Yeah, I don't know about that. Greatest sport. So we're going to have to share this thing. Okay. So tell me some of, the, uh, some of the positions that you can play in rugby. Okay. Prop. Yeah. Hooker. Hooker. Okay. Yeah. Um, scrum half. Scrum half. Fly half. Fly half. Winger. Winger. First center. First center. Second center. Center. Okay. Fullback. I didn't remember any of that. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. That's good. So Whitney introduces me herself to me and says, hi, my name is Whitney and I'm a hooker. <laughs> I panic, okay? As a youth pastor, grade seven kid, I have no idea what she's saying. I don't know about the, the, the sport of rugby until her father, who's in the conversation, says she's talking about rugby. It's a position in rugby. Okay, so that's Whitney. That's my first interaction with her. On Friday, she's now 23 years old, on Friday, my wife and I have this conversation with her, and she's telling us about this call that she has to missions work. For the last four years, she's been pursuing aviation. She's been pursuing, you know, being an airplane mechanic and also getting her pilot's license, private and commercial, because she believes that God is inviting her to take the gospel into places that are unreachable outside of an airplane. So she is now a functioning apprentice with Mission Aviation Fellowship. If I'm fixated on money, I hear a story like that and I say, that's great. Bless you, Whitney. Awesome. That's woohoo, amazing. And I'm not moved to participate because missionaries got to raise their funding support. 
Go figure, life isn't free. When, when money becomes king, when money becomes our everything, there's no room for Jesus to dictate, dictate the flow of finances. When our phraseology is like, well, that's not in our budget, but Jesus, I see a need, and I know you're prompting me to give to that, but I don't know how we're going to do it. And we walk away from it. We miss out on participating in God's kingdom alive in that moment. And God will tap somebody else on the shoulder and invite them to participate. That verse for me speaks to this relationship with money. Are we making a living off the backs of other people? Are we making a living off the backs of other people? Or do we have a healthy, Christ-like relationship with finances where we can give and invest where Jesus invites us to give and invest? So many of you have done that here at Sea Road where you give and you invest even when you don't understand everything that we're doing or you're, you're frustrated because, oh, Jason's changing something else. Here we go again. <laughs> or whatever it might be. I love it because it speaks to this relationship that you have with money and a right kingdom-oriented relationship. It's all about what Jesus wants to do, not about us. And so that's where it allows us to have this audacious idea where we can invest 30 cents on every dollar that comes in into some sort of expression of mission, whether that's through our district denomination we're connected to, whether that's through international missionaries or local missions like the Outpost Cafe and the Lighthouse Cafe that we get to participate in. That's our goal. Investing in our food bank, our goal to love people through the resources that God gives. And every step along that way is such an adventure. It's such a privilege. It's such an opportunity. And those are the stories we need to share and gather together and talk about. Those things are worth repeating. And that's not gossip. That's celebration. Because we're celebrating God's activity in the lives of people. That's what it means to be blameless. That's the kingdom scorecard. We're... We're graded, if you want to call it that, by the way we allow love to transform us so that we can love others and love ourselves. My question to you is, where is the love? Are you allowing it to grow and foster and immerse you in a new way of thinking, a kingdom type of living? Or have you put a dam up? Trying to dictate to Jesus where the love ought to go. Let's stop grading and let's just stop, start loving. Let's stop grading and let's start loving. Instead of those prejudices and those presuppositions that we have when we walk into an environment or walk past somebody, what if we could see a pending, emerging child of God, somebody who is created in the image of the same God that we are created in, somebody who is loved just as much as we are? I tell you what, it gives you patience and grace even for the slow driver in front of you. When you recognize that they too are loved by Jesus, even if you don't love them in that moment. Christmas is a miraculous season, and as we begin to get ready for that, I can't help but think 
more about love? What could it look like for us to stop grading and start loving? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it is potent. I thank you that it is humbling. I thank you that it is inspiring in so many ways. Jesus, we need to be known as women and men who reflect your character, your nature of love to the people around us. Sometimes love is difficult. Sometimes it's more challenging. It's going to cost us something to keep a promise, to stand up against injustice, to stand up against racism and prejudice and things that aren't kingdom-oriented, to stand up against gossip, even against somebody that we respect and we love and we care about. Maybe it's a mentor of ours who just has this one little habit of talking about other people in a negative way, and we most often overlook it. Instead, you invite us to speak into it and speak against it so that we become fixated on Jesus and not on the other things that can distract us along the way. Jesus, would you move in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds and understand that we live in this simple kingdom reality, one that's built on love, one with you at the center of all things, stitching everything together, making it function the way that you intended. Some would say it's a backwards or upside down reality of life. I would say, Jesus, it is the most fruitful, most enjoyable, most inspiring way to navigate our human experience. Father, would you bless and protect us? Would you make your face shine upon us? Be gracious to us. Would you grant us your favor and your peace? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.